the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. We're continuing on today our sermon series through the book of Revelation, taking a look in particular at these letters to these various churches. We've been praying that the Lord would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We've been praying that the Lord would help us to realize that these messages are not just for these seven churches in the ancient world, but that this these letters that have gone out to the church in Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, and the church in Pergamum, and all the letters that we are going to be taking a look at, we've been praying that God would help us to realize that they are for us as well. And today, as we consider this letter to the church in Pergamum, we need to come to understand something that's been brought home throughout the book of Revelation. And one of the things that's spoken of here as this letter is addressed to the church in Pergamum as well. And what we need to realize is that conduct within the church is far more serious than conduct outside of the church. And immoral conduct within the church is substantially more dangerous than any kind of immoral conduct that would take place outside of the church. Or maybe I can put it a different way. There's an understandable tendency that we have as Christians to be distressed by what we read or watch in the news. We might be fearful about the trends that we observe. We might be concerned about the results of various decisions in the Supreme Court or in the state legislature, but let me tell you that nothing that you or I might encounter in the outside world, the world outside of the church, among those that don't profess the name of Christ Jesus, nothing that we can encounter that, are, that it comes to us by means of political forces or pop culture or contemporary movements, none of that is nearly so dangerous as that which might take place within the church. You and I should be more concerned if we read falsehood in Christianity Today or The Banner or any other Christian publication than we should be when we encounter distressing news on CNN or in the Chicago Tribune. And one of the things that has been evidenced in the last two churches is this. In the Ephesian church, the most dangerous thing that they were experiencing was a lack of love in their midst. People could assume that they would experience a lack of love in the world that did not call upon the name of Christ Jesus, but it was a serious thing for the Ephesian church to give up the love that they had at first. The church in Smyrna was a church that was experiencing all manner of opposition and persecution. All manner of difficulty, all manner of impoverished life. 
And yet, they received nothing but praise from the Lord Jesus Christ, reminding them that he held them, that if they were faithful to the point of death and through it, that he would give them a crown of life. And it's one of these rare churches that receives no words of difficult instruction, because in the midst of all manner of difficulty in the world, they continued to profess Christ, were kept by him, and were safe. They weren't in danger. Because while they faced a great deal of opposition from the outside world, they were faithful in their worship. This church in Pergamum, which we're going to read about today, has a substantial danger. And the danger that they're facing is theological falsehood, which leads to moral compromise. Theological falsehood, which leads to moral compromise. The stain of immoral compromise is evident in this church all throughout it. A friend of mine who preached this message called his message the cancer of compromise and notes that one of the things that's clear for us in this section of scripture is that there are divine consequences when the church compromises the truth. The church in Pergamum is the third church that we're meeting in this series. Pergamum was a city that was a capital in Asia. It was a center of learning. 200,000 volumes filled their library, the second largest library in the entire world at this time, second only to the great library in Alexandria. The word parchment that we know actually comes uh, from the Greek, from the word Pergamum. So connected was writing and learning to the town of Pergamum that the the word parchment for, for what would make up books actually comes from this city's name. Like every city in the Roman world, it was a place of idol worship. The first temple that was dedicated to emperor worship was built in the city of Pergamum. The temple, there were also temples to Dionysus, to Athena, to Asclepius, and to Demeter. A massive altar to Sotor Zeus was on a hill outside of the city. This is not a place that would top a list of best places to raise Christian children. It wouldn't be at the head of any such list. And all of that background is going to help us make sense of what it is that we read in these verses, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and wage war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This letter to the church at Pergamum is perhaps the most intense yet. 
You probably picked that up through the reading of the texts. None of these, in none of these letters is Jesus messing around as he dictates a note, a letter, a brief series of sentences to these individual churches. But perhaps you can feel the intensity, the particular intensity of this church in Pergamum. You can pick that up at the very beginning of the letter as Jesus introduces himself in a way that sounds a bit threatening. The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. This is not a greeting that is filled with any kind of warm fuzzy. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself. And we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. One of my favorite television shows is The Andy Griffith Show. There's one episode where there is a grifter who comes to kind of deceive Aunt B. It leads to all manner of work for Andy. And this man seems to have convinced Aunt B that he's going to marry her. Andy decides that he's going to have a conversation with this grifter and make him make good on his word or leave. And so very strategically, he decides that the conversation is going to take place while he is cleaning his gun. There's an implied threat in the cleaning of the gun. Nothing needs to be spoken. He just cleans it. He lets this grifter know that Andy is the man with the gun. And this introduction serves a number of different purposes. It reminds us that Jesus is the one with the sword. Jesus is the king with the sword. This means that there are genuine consequences for disobedience, for theological and moral compromise. Verse 16 says this very clear. If the church doesn't repent, if those who have given themselves to false teaching and to sexual immorality and to food sacrifice to idols, if they don't repent, Jesus says, I'm going to come against you with this two-edged sword. The two-edged sword, of course, comes from his mouth, we're told in Revelation chapter 1, and speaks to us of the incredible power of the word of God. If Christ, if Christ comes and we are unrepentant and in sin, we experience the sword. You see, discipline, the discipline of Christ is not something that you can avoid except by repentance and trust in the finished work of Jesus. This is why the church actually comes to those who are caught in a continual and an open sin, who are persevering in unrepentance, and they say lovingly, dear brother, dear sister, it's time for you to stop this. Because we know that Jesus is the one with the two-edged sword. And we don't want him to use it against us. We don't want him to come against us because of our unrepentance and unrighteousness. And so we want to repent of sin. The fact that Jesus is the king with the sword also can provide a great deal of comfort because it reminds us who is the one with authority. As I mentioned in the introduction, the, the, the city of Pergamum was a capital city in the province of Asia, and as such, it was given a particular responsibility. It was a city whose governing council could put people to death. 
The symbol of this was that the city bore the sword. The sword. This was a city that could put people to death, signified by the sword. But the Lord Jesus is the one who has a sword. He's more potent, more powerful than the city of Pergamum. And for those who found themselves in Jesus in the town of Pergamum, they could rest in the fact that they were safe because of his power. The same is true for you. If you, in repentance and faith, have given yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are safe. Because no one and nothing has the potency or the power of our Savior. And you're safe in his care. You're safe in his protection. Nothing will ever harm you. And for those of us who, through repentance and faith, have trusted in the work that Christ finished at the cross, the fact that he's the one that has the two-edged sword should be a comfort to us. This is the way that Jesus introduces himself. This is the introduction in the letter And the letter then has three different parts. It first talks about a demonic dwelling. It second talks about some doctrinal delinquency. And and at the end, it talks about a detailed deliverance. So let's start up talking about this demonic dwelling. Verse 13 contains with it some of the intensity of this letter. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. This is intense. This verse, verse 13, starts talking about how this is where the throne of Satan is. The end of verse 13 says, this is where Satan dwells. Again, Pergamum is not a place that would top a list of places to raise Christian children. What does it mean that this is the place where the throne of Satan was? What does it mean that this is the place where Satan dwells? Well, I mean, none of us can know for sure. It may be that this church understood instinctively what it was that Jesus was communicating in this message. There are a few different things that might be the case. This might be termed the place where where Satan's throne is, a reference to, to power, because this was the place where the first temple dedicated to emperor worship was. It may be that this reference to this power might might be a reference to the fact that the emperors were the ones who sat on the throne and the fact that they were worshipped here indicates that this is a place where the throne of Satan was. It might be a reference to a specific temple, the temple of Asclepius. Asclepius, you see, was a snake deity. He was called a savior. He was signified in sculptures as a snake. And his temple in the town of Pergamum is one that seems to me to be quite disturbing. Non-poisonous snakes littered the floor of this temple. And, And what people believed is that if you wanted to be healed, what you needed to do was go to the temple of Asclepius and lay down and allow the snakes to crawl over you. And if you did that, it was said that this snake deity would heal you. Perhaps this is the reference to the temple or the to the throne of Satan. It could be a reference to Satan himself. You see, the enemy is real. The enemy of God's people is real. And this may have simply been the place of his dwelling. You see, the devil is limited and can only be in one place at once. This is different from the Lord God who is omnipresent. One of the things that you and I might be tempted to believe is that the Lord and the devil, that the good of God And the evil that he opposes are two equal and opposite forces. This is simply untrue. God is far greater than than any enemy that stands against him. 
Any enemy that seeks to stand against God is limited, is limited spatially, can only be in one place at one time, is limited mentally, does not know everything, is limited temporally, is held captive by time, whereas God is omnipresent in all places. God is all-knowing, omniscient. He knows all things. God is not captive to time. Again, this should be a great comfort. The fact that God is so much greater than any enemy of the Lord gives you comfort and should drive us to want to run to him. It's a reminder of what it is that we sing when we sing the song, A Mighty Fortress. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Don't be afraid if you belong to God. Because any that stand against him cannot, cannot oppose him. He is much greater. And you're safe when you belong to him. In any case, the church in Pergamum dwells in the place of demons. However, that's signified. And one of the evidences of this dwelling in the place where Satan dwells was the persecution that this church was facing. We're given specific results of this persecution. Antipas, God's faithful witness, was killed among them where Satan dwelt. It may be that Antipas was the pastor of this church in Pergamum. In any case, he was someone who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and witnessed to the gospel. You see, this word witness in Greek is the word martus, Just hearing that, you might realize that this is the word from which we get the word martyr. A martyr is one who is a witness to the Lord God. A martyr is one who is a witness to the truth of the gospel. And the way that the church has come to understand martyrdom is to say, hey, one who is a martyr is one who has witnessed to the truth of the gospel up to and through the point of death. And one of those witnesses was Antipas the faithful witness of the Lord. You know, at every time and in every generation, God has his faithful witnesses. God has those who continue to testify to the truth of Christ and his ways and his word, even at the cost of their very lives. You know, in the United States right now, there's no, there's very little chance that you might have to suffer and die for your faith. There are some instances or occurrences where it has happened. But you see, the last hundred years has been the year where the most people have died for the cause of the gospel. The last hundred years. It's across the globe where people are facing regular, sustained opposition for trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now, not just at this church in Pergamum, right now across the globe in places where where governments or groups of, of people oppose the message of the gospel, people die. They bear witness. They are martyrs to the very end. And one of the things that I, I don't know how this strikes you, but this hits me like a ton of bricks when I read verse 13 is this. Yet you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness. I want you to notice the use of the word my. 
the people in Pergamum, when, when faced with this opposition, held fast to the name of God, to my name, Christ says. It's a reminder that the faith that they held to was not their faith, it was, it was the faith of Christ Jesus, to my faith. And then this is what really hits me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness. Aren't you struck by the intimacy of that statement? Jesus is talking about this one who has been faithful to the point of death. And he says, that one, Antipas, that one was mine. That one was my witness. Let me tell you this morning that having Jesus say, you know what? Derek Bukema was my witness. That's more valuable to me than anything else. That's something that I would prize more than anything else in the whole world. To have Christ say that one, that one was my witness. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it amazing to belong to Jesus? Isn't it astounding to be called his own? Isn't it incredible that this one who has power over all of the governments of the world, isn't it astounding that he will condescend to say, you are mine? And is it not, is it not the most valuable thing in the world to, to belong to him and to know that there is no opposition that this world might offer that can compare with belonging to Jesus? Belonging to Jesus is enough. This was a church that was faithful on to death on the part of Antipas, faithful in the midst of all manner of opposition, even in the place where demons dwelt, where the devil had his dwelling. But verse 14 tells us that sadly, Christ Jesus has a few things against this church. Let me read verses 14 and 15. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Now you might remember that these teachings of the Nicolaitans was referenced in verse 6 in the letter to the church in Ephesus. One of the things that, one of the things that was praised, praiseworthy about the church in Ephesus is that they were holding fast against this very same teaching. The problem for the church in Ephesus was that they were remaining doctrinally pure while failing to be loving. The problem for this church in Pergamum is that they were failing to be doctrinally pure. They were listening to the words of false teachers. There were some. This, this false teacher, Balaam, it, it, it's a reference to the Old Testament, and, and the Nicolaitans. There were some who were coming in and encouraging the church, hey, you can offer sacrifices to idols. You can eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Hey, you can engage in sexual immorality. It's not a big deal. And what Jesus says to the church is, it is a big deal. And I have against you the fact that you are giving into this teaching. There's a reference to Balaam. You probably remember the story of Balaam. It's recorded in Numbers 22 to 24. Balaam was somebody that the king Balak hired to try to speak words of cursing against the people of Israel, but the Lord would not allow him to speak words of cursing, and instead, he spoke only words of blessing. But then in Numbers 25, we're told that the people of Israel started engaging in sexual immorality. And in Numbers chapter 31, we're told that that Balaam consulted with the king Balak and encouraged him, just send 
send some women of, of Moab into the people of Israel and encourage them to engage in sexual immorality. And so while they would not be cursed, they nonetheless started to destroy themselves by giving themselves to sexual immorality and then to idolatry. And what Revelation chapter 2 in this letter to the church in Pergamum is saying is that this church was doing the same sort of thing. They had stood up in the face of incredible opposition, but then there was some doctrinal delinquency. They allowed false teachers in their midst. They started studying their materials. They started thinking, well, maybe it's not so bad if we act a little bit like the world, if we engage in the same practices that they do, if we go to the same festivals, if we have the same sexual practices as the world, if we participate in rituals of the city like the rest of the world, maybe that's not such a bad thing as what church, some in the church were starting to believe. And Jesus comes and says, stop that. I have this against you. Don't do that. This is the second astounding thing about the church in Pergamum. There is such incredible opposition that some are dying for the sake of the gospel. And in that same church, there are some that are saying, yeah, but it's not a big deal if we start operating like the people around us, is it? It's not such a big deal if we give ourselves to sexual immorality. It's not such a big deal if we eat food sacrificed to idols. This isn't such a big deal, is it? I mean, some of these Christian teachers tell us that this isn't a problem. If these are Christian teachers, I mean, then why not, why not listen to what it is that they're saying? My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through His Word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to Him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.